Welcome back to another episode of the Millennial Entrepreneur. I've seen a lot of following the journeys of other young entrepreneurs. This is episode number 89. It's pretty crazy that we're like close to 90. So next episode will be 90. It's been an amazing journey so far. I can't wait to hit number 100. And it wouldn't have been possible with the support of you guys. So thank you so much for listening and for following on the journey. And in this episode, I spoke with Zach Marks, the co-founder behind Kit Medical, an all-in-one anaphylactics prevention and treatment system for schools, like a defibrillator, but for allergies. That's the way that they're framing it. And so we covered how Zach started on his journey, firstly trying to reinvent allergy medical devices to later shifting his focus on making the existing allergy devices more accessible and reframing the problem. And I love the way that he did this because we spoke with Isabel a few weeks ago about starting a health tech, not coming from a healthcare background yourself, as I know so many of you guys want to go down that route, um, any people like listening, but you don't come from a medical background yourself. And I think Zach and Isabel reframed it so amazingly. So I can't wait for you guys to listen to this episode. And if you haven't listened to Isabel's and you do want to start a business in health tech and healthcare, so if you haven't listened to that one and you do want to get yourself into healthcare or health tech or you're already in it and you want to kind of like get some advice, do listen to that episode after this one because it's a great supplementary one for sure. So secondly, on this episode, we talked about how Zach tested his proposition to doubling down on schools as the best way to start gaining traction with his service and how he is scaling the business. Again, not coming from a medical background himself. And thirdly, more generally, Zach's experience on selling his services within businesses and public sector as a socially motivated business himself and how he gains the extra buy-in for them to actually purchase. This is a huge challenge that I myself experienced in my first business. I've heard so many of you guys actually go through this where you have a business that has started out of a social cause, you know, solving hunger or homelessness or in Zach's case, it's uh, making treatment for allergies more accessible. But how do you actually frame that to them actually purchasing in, in the end? Because at the end of the day, just the social cause alone is not enough, unfortunately. Now, before we jump in, I want to give a quick shout out to everyone who's been listening to the podcast since we returned in 2022. Thank you so much for listening. It means the world. And the last few episodes have been getting some amazing traction. So thank you so much for listening. And if you haven't already left a written review on Apple Podcasts, please do because it helps out the podcast so much and it helps with the growth and everything. Follow us on Instagram as well. That's where all the previews and all the value posts, motivation and stuff gets posted. And I love the Instagram. The Instagram has grown like fairly well in the last few weeks as well because um, we put a lot of effort into it behind the scenes. So thank you so much for following it if you if you have already done it. And if you haven't, please do follow because there's some cool stuff on there. Now for this episode, we did have some technical difficulties recording it. So we had to use Zoom instead of Zencaster. So if the audio quality is slightly lower than usual, don't panic. We haven't switched provider or whatever. It's just a, uh, yeah, it's an anomaly for this episode. But yeah, I hope you do enjoy. The content is fantastic and I hope you enjoy. So let's jump in. Hey, Zach, how are you? Hey, Sina, I'm good. How are you doing? I'm very, very good. Thanks. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It's so excited to have you on. Um, we had someone from the medical space on the podcast very recently, and that episode really resonated with people. What they absolutely loved is hearing people who don't come from the medical background, but they've launched and scaled a really cool sort of business within health tech, within, within medicine. And yeah, I think your business follows on extremely well from that because I'm lo- I love what you guys are doing in the whole like allergy space. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. So I think like before we before we jump in, I'd love to talk about what is Kit Medical. Um, yeah, absolutely. So we always tell people that Kit is like a defibrillator, but for allergies, basically. Um, it's the easiest way to describe it, and it really hits home because obviously people see defibrillators all over the place, and 
in schools and restaurants and stadiums, you know, train stations, things like that. And it's life-saving medication that people just have this immediate connection with. They understand what it's for. They understand the severity of what can happen. But if you have cardiac arrest and that whole sort of um, likeliness is lost with allergies. People relate it to a dietary requirement. And a lot of people think you're lying when you talk about the severity of your allergy. So what we're doing with Kit is putting that life-saving medication that you need in case you have a severe allergic reaction, which are adrenaline auto-injectors, um, putting them in, in a kit that's wall mounted, goes in a public place like a school, and then it's backed up by software that provides training, instant reporting, and basically makes sure that medication is always there and in date. That's really interesting. So what's actually like the key problem here? Is the problem that this sort of medication isn't readily available? There's quite a few, in all honesty. Anyone that has allergies will know that, you know, you're meant to take your own medication wherever you go but specifically speaking as a guy not having a bag on me at all times well you know sort of pretty convenient things to put anything else in other than just having a jacket on me um it makes it really hard to store an epipen or you know what other sort of adrenaline auto injector you've got on you they don't really fit in your pocket really hold them in your hands so actually having them on you is really difficult and then on top of that they expire either between every nine months or like every 16 months. It, it really depends on what you get. So general human error comes into play hugely where people just forget when their medication is expiring. And then on top of that, it's also quite hard to actually get new pens when you need them. So you have to sort of go through the pharmacy and hope they've got the right supply in stock. Um, and we've worked with schools that just haven't been able to get the medication for like many, many months, which obviously leaves them extremely exposed to an incident occurring and them not being able to treat someone mm. so you guys you guys would come in and kind of like fill that gap of the supply where you would work with the schools directly and offer them this medication kind of like a defibrillator so it's like kind of a, attach the wall at kind of at all times absolutely so so the medications inside the kit that we produce um it's really nicely designed it stands out so people will always see it and it can be um in the school's cafeteria or in their main reception hall and then in case anything happens it's obviously accessible um, and a big part of that is being able to see it on the wall and knowing that that's for an allergic reaction and hopefully then identifying that with um, just a better understanding of allergies more respect more treatment because we've looked into the problem hugely and there's a serious issue with bullying especially in schools with allergic children um, and it's actually the story of why Karen Beachima who in 2017 uh, had a severe allergic reaction, unfortunately died in hospital. The reason he went into anaphylactic shock is because his fellow pupils didn't understand the severity of his allergy and he was actually being bullied and they were throwing his allergen, which was cheese, at him. And if they had understood the severity of you know, what could happen, then they probably wouldn't have done that. I'm sure they didn't mean it in a malicious way. But unfortunately, you know, he went into anaphylactic shock and he had his own adrenaline auto-injectors on him, but they were out of date just as we were describing before, you know, human error comes into play. So when they went to use his own, they didn't work because the adrenaline was out of date and he was rushed to hospital, but it was too late. And unfortunately he passed. Um, and that's why we really, really advocate for this spare set of medication needing to be in a public place. Wow. That is crazy. I, I, I had actually heard that story before. That is, that's really crazy. That, that that's, that's actually like, that's mental. That's blown my mind. So this sort of medication, I guess, isn't readily available. So I guess like in that case, the medication was out of date 
and you guys will kind of work with the schools directly to show that like, I guess make it much more readily available this this kind of like i guess was it that story or was it it was the personal story of you personally as the founder who like wants to start this right as, as someone that suffers with allergies yourself yeah yes absolutely so i have lived with severe allergies to nuts for my whole life um i've also been allergic to a few other things and it kind of chops and changes most people don't know that like you can develop an allergy to anything at any time in your lives and if you have allergies they can change as well so the whole the whole um health service and provision of allergy care especially in the uk and across the world is uh somewhat unreliable and if you have allergies you should try and get them checked quite often so i've been like every three years and i've been allergic to beans and then i wasn't and now i'm allergic to peas so i just tell people i'm allergic to nuts and peas but even that in itself uh people find very surprising because they don't know pea is an allergy um and especially when i tell like a restaurant or whatever that i sometimes get you know a little laughed at sometimes people just don't understand and they think i'm joking and it's pretty mm. annoying because i've got i've got to shrug it off it's just something i've got to do but at the end of the day if they don't take it seriously enough and they put it in my food it's going to cause me serious harm is that that's that's quite annoying as a business though because obviously you're trying to like really solve this problem and it is a very valid problem to solve like people are actually like dying here but there is that stigma still mm. there is that a huge challenge for scaling it's an interesting question i mean people thankfully when we explain what the proposition is and we normally explain the problem as well as the solution because we need to explain the problem first so that people understand it when we properly explain to them the proposition they then seem to understand it and especially this this simple sentence of like a defibrillator but for allergies really resonates with people and i mean essentially right now we can only sell to schools because of legislation in the uk actually the the incident with karen Beachima was one of the sort of fire starters which then allowed schools to be able to have spare pens but before that, they were something that only in, in the UK, at least, only allergy sufferers could have themselves. So yeah. Yeah. now we're obviously looking to sell to schools. But other than that, in the future, we hope to get into restaurants and hotels, stadiums, planes, you know, anywhere where an incident could occur. And there's a few movements across uh, Australia and Ireland and sort of state by state in America as well, where they've said they can stock auto injectors in public places. Mm. But what they really, really need, and especially in the UK, for it to be properly feasible, is this system that we're looking to provide where, you know, it's not just that a prep feels like they could go and buy some, some EpiPens yeah. and, and yeah. put them in the drawer because they'd forget about them. And, you know, they have high staff turnover. They would not tell people where they are. They would lack the training. They'd go out of date before they were even there. So you need this secure, wall-mounted place to put them. You need the backup. You need the training. And what we're doing is just saying, look, sign on with us. 500 pounds per kit per year. Everything is sorted. That's all you have to worry about. You get it all in one and then, you know, do the training. If you have an incident, let us know. We'll replace the medication for free. And other than that, that's yourself covered. Zach suffers with allergies himself. He understands the problem so well. But I want to really talk to him about, because he doesn't come from a medical background himself, he comes from a design background, how he actually starts business. Because we spoke with Isabel a few weeks ago and she reframed the problem so well when it comes to starting a health tech and starting a business within the healthcare sector, not coming from a healthcare background yourself and kind of outlining the positives of maybe not coming from that background. And it is definitely achievable and you can build an, an amazing business not coming from that background for sure if you obviously surround yourself with the medical experience and all that you know all that type of stuff 
because she reframed it to um, we're going to use the existing solutions that exist from a medical standpoint, but we're going to reframe it in terms of trying to match up supply and demand. So she shifted the problem to a supply and demand problem. And I really want to talk to Zach about how he kind of reframed the problem here because he started out trying to change the medical devices himself for the upper allergies. And so he realized that this was not a viable business to go down because, you know, people spend millions of dollars trying to reinvent this sort of thing. Instead, he shifted his focus to why aren't these products being used more readily in schools and other sort of like public spaces. And so, yeah, we talk about that now. Yeah, I did sort of like a bit of a dark horse in the, in the industry. And when, when I first came up with uh, what this was in university, people weren't taking me seriously because I was just a designer and I didn't have any any knowledge of, of the industry other than living with allergies myself which is quite a weird thing to say like I don't have knowledge of the industry but I live with the problem but yeah essentially I studied industrial design at Loughborough University and for my final year major project we're basically told that we could do anything we wanted that would be able to last us an entire year and be a scalable project and you know after sort of thinking about it a little bit I thought what better problem to tackle than my own and see if I could do something with the current state of allergies. So I started trying to redesign an auto injector at the beginning, and then I realized I'm not um, medically trained or an engineer, just like you referred to. That's obviously not my strong suit. But instead, I looked at it more as a service. And I said, okay, these medications, whether they're EpiPens or they're Jex pens or they're Emirates, they're all different brands for the same thing, which is just adrenaline in a pre filled syringe. Um, what if I can take that pre-existing, you know, certified medical device and put it in a service that works and does the things that people are lacking. Mm. And so I came up with the original idea for the product, which was called Anna, which was short for anaphylaxis, um, back in university. And when I graduated, I was, you know, just like most students, like completely sick to death of the project. I was like, I'm never touching this again. Goodbye. Farewell. I'm going to go get myself a nice Christie job like uh, maybe pursue like brand design or web design and look for a nine to five. And then obviously COVID hit. I graduated in 2020. So it was like peak COVID time. Jobs weren't really available. And I was doing a bit of freelance web design, but my sort of close friends and family were just saying to me, what you made at university could have legs in the real world. And you've got an opportunity here to actually do something with it. So it it was from there that I was like, Maybe I'll give this a crack, not having mm. any idea what that would mean or how I'd start. See, Zach, you just said something very interesting that I'd love to highlight because very similar to what Isabel, so Isabel was on the podcast a few, a few weeks ago and she she has a, a, a health tech business. And she she mentioned how, so she doesn't come from a medical background herself, but she talked about how the the role of of her within the business is to, is to make existing medical procedures and, and tools and stuff like that more accessible to people that was her role as as the founder Mm. and what you just said there was you didn't want to change the the medically like um verified devices you just listed a name of a few brands there but your role here same thing is to make it more accessible to people and you're you're solving that problem of the supply not not being met or like there's 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 a problem there like these the schools aren't being serviced in the correct way there's some market inefficiency so when people, I guess, talk about they want to get into health tech or that they have they see this problem that, that's there, but within the healthcare industry, whether it's in the US or the UK, but they don't they don't feel confident to tackle it because 
they don't come from medical background, obviously like businesses on a case by case basis, because some of them you may need to have a medical background. But with this, it just sounds like a standard sort of like, I guess, business problem that you're solving as the founder, right? So I think reframing it into that way is, is a very effective way to tackle it because although you don't come from the, the background, you can solve this problem. Yeah, that's a, that's a really good way of putting it. And it's interesting. I'm not the only one that's thought of it like that, but essentially I had seen the amount of times people had redesigned an EpiPen um, like when I, I, I basically spent about a month of my final year just looking to see if I could redesign an EpiPen. And I looked into the amount of times people have tried it and they made it a little bit smaller or uh, maybe a little bit more efficient or carry two shots for adrenaline or tried to make it cheaper. But at the end of the day, these were student projects. And to then take that and actually, you know, first off, launch it as a business, but secondly, then convince services like the NHS that it's the feasible option seemed to be an impenetrable task and also one which wasn't that worthwhile in in trying to yeah it would take you know, years and millions of, of yeah. funding like it would take so long absolutely and i you know i completely applaud the efforts that have gone into doing that because there are a few um like emirate was one that, that sort of tried to to take over the epipens brand but then they, they they failed uh they are back now but they're just they're just another auto injector but you know i'd seen student projects do it and i was just like number one this isn't my skill set number two as an allergy sufferer myself, would I use this redesigned pen and would it solve my problems? No. So what's the mm. point? What is the point in sinking a year of my life, you know, as a design project into this? And so, yeah, that's what, that's where I just, I decided to pivot and I was like, why not do something that's more service orientated? Cause I, I love the idea of a brand like, yeah, you know, it was Anna, it's now called kit and it's, it's got that playful entity. People have said like, it looks, sexy like it's a sexy looking piece of allergy kit which makes no sense whatsoever you'd never think those two phrases would come together um but the design of it you know i always went to apple and dyson and i was like i want this to be something that's appealing this, yeah, there's yeah, no point in this being something that people feel like they have to have but don't want it should be something that people actually get excited about if that's possible and mm. having a brand that sort of you know nicely combines the hardware and software but also we advocate the allergy care and we we speak on it and i really put myself out there that was always so important to me Zach, when you shifted your focus from, say, like des redesigning the, the injector to more of a service based on like solving this, um, I guess, market inefficiency, as it were, how did you actually test whether that was the issue? Like, how did you test whether, like, I guess, what was your MVP here? At uni, I obviously had the concept that was, you know, like I had a screen and speakers and it was, it was a dream idea to like provide basically what a, a high tech defibrillator would do. And that's what I was trying to go for. And that's why I essentially tried to like build a business plan around when I graduated. But by talking to like, literally, I was just a graduate sitting in my room with an idea. And I, again, what I do is design. I make things pretty. I know how to communicate. So I started building a really aesthetic pitch deck um, without any idea about how investment works. And I started to realize that I don't really know how to sell something like this. I don't know the market. So I started just calling up restaurants um, and reaching out on Instagram and things like that and just having conversations with anywhere that was a venue and just saying like, what do you currently do for allergy care? What would you like to be able to do for allergy care? Like, how could you make this something which could improve your customer's experience? And, you know, from there, it just became really obvious that they're, they weren't looking looking for a super high-tech solution they were just looking for something which sort of ticked the boxes and could sort itself out in a way um 
and the more conversations I had and I was like documenting all of these I used notion I had like this running meetings tab and I was just reviewing all these people um and it didn't matter you know what hospitality industry they were from they were just all looking for something that could actually be desirable like that was really important to them it, it, if it was an ugly kit it wouldn't it wouldn't work it wasn't feasible um they just shove it away and it wouldn't have those sort of intangible effects that i always talk about where like you know it's not just about the life-saving medication it's about seeing it and knowing that you feel safer and knowing that they're taking care of you um so yeah that that was sort of the early stages and then when my co-founder james joined me in uh january 2021 we sort of pushed on the business properly and like really got cracking and we ended up raising a, a, a funding round and that enabled us to do a pilot phase in schools which was like this the proper test of traction so when you when you raised that funding did you have say some schools interested in doing a pilot i guess what was the what was the early sort of data the early traction that granted you that funding <laughs> that's a funny one the first funding round was it was a hit and hope you know i like i, I didn't have sales we did we didn't have anything we just had essentially myself as being incredibly passionate about this problem and being like look i'm just gonna i'm gonna do this it's gonna happen you've got to give me the time to work it out but it's gonna happen and uh, as i said a very aesthetic pitch deck we'd also i had a background in in web design and things like that and brand design like i said so i put together a little website basically showcasing the university concepts that i designed but making it look like it was essentially a real product and mm. with that um we got loads of traction we, we reached out to pharmacies and charities and I ended up having a really important conversations and I was able to pitch to investors and say look I've had these conversations with these people they're very interested in this and there's there's a real market for it and it wasn't really until it wasn't until the Karen Bichima story sort of came to light in my mind after I was, I was made aware of that when he passed in a school that we started to really consider schools as, as like the perfect place to start and from yeah. there it was like okay this this is now the plan the plan is this funding helps us do this prototype so we can do this pilot in schools and that proves attraction from then on. Zach, whenever I hear about businesses like yours, and it's usually a business that has come from a problem of like, yeah, like you just mentioned, a very personal problem. There's always like challenges. There's always massive challenges because you're essentially more of a social business, but like it is a scalable one because you can make good money from it. But the question I want to ask you is, what are the really like key challenges here? Because I know so many people want to start a health tech or medicine or even like another business, but more focused along a more social issue of saving lives or improving people's lives in some way. But what is the, I guess, what's the huge, or the, big, the biggest challenge and risk for you scaling this? Is this advice for, for future founders or is this me talking about my personal problems? Your personal, your personal experience and I guess more afterwards. I think in all honesty, I've just, I've just put in a serious amount of time, right? And, and I mean, the risk is like, what if it fails? You know, how, how do you get around wasting that time and wasting that energy? But I just backed myself endlessly. And I said, this is the only thing I want to be doing with my time. Really nothing else is worthwhile in my head. And that did give me a massive disconnect from like friends and family. And I, and I do struggle with that. Like I honestly really do. When I talk to people who essentially do anything else, <laughs> I'm like, I, I don't understand it really um, other, than, other than raising your own, your own idea. But, you know, if there's one thing I can tell to other people, it's just be immerse yourself, like be passionate about it. Really, really spend all your time and energy, have the conversations. Um, Cause otherwise you just face these problems of, 
either not putting in enough thought and energy into something and then it just basically being a hollow idea or concept um, and, you know, serving up false promises that you can't deliver on or just, I don't know, selling yourself short. Mm. Because like for me, the question? because for me, yeah, yeah. Because for me, these yeah. sort of social businesses, it is, it is a no brainer in terms of like for people to, to buy into it. However, when it goes to sort of like you selling it to schools or businesses or stuff like that, for, for I guess more, more generally, I, I like, because I had a social business before and it was a lot about like money, a lot about like, Oh, this is, this isn't the, the way that we used to do things. So like we're used to a certain way, like, Although it sounds like a no-brainer, there are challenges that are more intricate that you might not think about. And I think money is definitely one that is a huge barrier, especially when you're selling to the public sector. I have my co-founder, James, to, to thank for all the uh, intricacies of like the business plan and, and, and you know real financial forecasting and things like that, because that's never been my forte. And if I'm ever asked about, you know, <laughs> should we give equity to this person or should we make it cheaper? I'm just like, yes. And I don't think about it. And then I have to reconsider. Um, and you know, in terms of selling it to schools, I was originally like, let's do it the cheapest thing as possible. Let's just sort of make the bare minimum, um, from this product. And, you know, cause we're, we're just serving a need. Right. And then it came to realize over time, it's like, well, no, we need to sell this for what it's worth for one, because it is a highly valuable piece of content, like the whole subscription that comes in together with the training and, and the kit and all that together, that's worth a mm -hmm. lot of money. So we sort of spoke to schools and tried to value what they'd be paying for individually. And it worked out that we were potentially saving the money in some areas. Um, but the other thing is that when you're making money off a, when you're able to make money off a idea that's doing good, then you can reinvest that and you can do more good. And, and we have, you know, aims to invent other medical kits and we, we have aims to sort of channel legislation as i said so like we want to take the funding we're going to get and do better things with it and that really helps yeah i think the the, the experience that i had from running like a social business and I, I i sold to businesses rather than the public sector however what i really learned was the social aspect usually isn't enough it's usually something else so the social aspect they can definitely buy into but when you actually persuade them to the next stage it's either you're saving them cost or, or you're generating revenue for them. So that's on the business side. But because you're selling to a public sector, they don't really care about the revenue because most of the time there isn't any revenue. So you're mm. more playing on the fact of saving them money or something a bit more tangible, like, like saving lives. But I hate to say this, but I think the money aspect usually does out-trump the lives aspect in, in, some, in some areas, which is like mm. a horrible mm. thing to say. So... I think the way that you said it was framing it in a way that, okay, this is exist. This is like already how you do things. This is how much it costs you with us. Not only can you save lives, but also we're saving you some money here as well. Or like, it's like the same, it's like on par or if, it, if it's slightly more, but we're selling, we're saving you lives. Here. So I think it's like trying to put it in terms of numbers for them. They really buy into it. And I, it's a lesson that I learned because when I started my first business, it was very much just a social aspect and it didn't really work because people would buy into the social aspect, they wouldn't actually pay for it, which is a really cool, uh, I, mm -hmm. I think, uh, <laughs> an interesting thing to discover, you know? So that's kind of where I was going yeah. with that. I don't know if you've, if you've encountered that. Yeah, yeah, totally. We have. Um, I mean, a, a big part of selling to schools is justifying the sale. And one, one of the things with allergies is that it's this invisible threat. Like people exactly. don't think it's a problem until it's exactly. a problem. And then trying to persuade someone that like, actually this should be something you're thinking proactively about rather than reactively, which is famously how, how all the allergy instances happen. You know, Nathan and Laparouz 
she was the one that had that prep baguette with the sesame in it. And, you know, unfortunately she passed while on a plane and the incident was horrible. And, and after that, they've now put into effect Natasha's law, which has taken years to put into place, where now allergen labeling is, is mandatory in all prepackaged for sale foods. And so we're really trying to say like, look, let's not want the horrible incident to happen, get this kit in advance. But that's pretty hard to say. So we, what we do often is bring up the sort of pros and cons, you know, if not this, then, then this could happen. And there are quite a few cases that if an allergy incident happens, um, the school, the council, like everyone involved gets heavily fined. Mm, and that can yeah. be quite a good incentive for a school. And then on the flip side, you can say, well, actually, there's evidence to show that if you take our product and it, and it fits into this category of, you know, better allergy care, better health and safety care for schools, then you could see profit boosts of this much because you can advertise to parents that you are allergy safe. And we want Precisely. to bring out like a kit register or an allergy safe register and that marketing in itself that helps exactly. the school justify the cost exactly so what you've done there is you've sold them on the whole like social aspect they love that and then the next step of actually getting like buy-in is the the money aspect i think that's kind of how it should be well not how it should be but it's just like that's how it works um but for you mm, that's, as a business that's, that's, yeah yeah that's how that's how you should do it i think Anyway, Zach, I would love to talk about what's next for Kit Medical. What's next? Well, currently, we're actually finalists in the Mayor of London's Entrepreneurship Award, which is amazing. It's, it's such a cool opportunity to have. So we're pitching in City Hall for the Health Award at the end of this month, um, and that could be huge for our exposure. That also kind of ties in with our general fundraise, which we're doing kind of now. It's sort of, I, I mean, I'm sure you can agree with the fundraise. It's always always kind of happening and always kind of not happening and they get pushed back a lot but we're we're attempting to start our our seed round now um which will help us fund the proper manufacture of the kits we've been talking to loads of injection molders now and we're really really heavily weighted on getting it made in the uk rather than china especially with everything going on in the world right now we're also developing our software and getting licenses from the mhra and all this kind of stuff so that we can launch to schools across the country in September for the new year. So we're sort of channeling the sales pipeline right now. And we've got a whole bunch of schools already interested in pre-sales and that's just incredibly for us. Amazing. I love to hear that. How can people stay in touch with you and Kit Medical going into the future, Zach, now that we're wrapping up the podcast? Yeah. So we, uh, we post quite a lot on our social medias and that's just for everything. It's at Kit Medical and that's Kit with two T's. Um, and also the website is www.kitmedical.com. Okay, fantastic. Thank you so much again for coming on the podcast, Zach. And I'm sure we'll speak very soon. Thanks so much. Absolutely. Cheers, Zeno. It's been awesome. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Millennial Entrepreneur. Thank you so much for staying at the very end of the episode. It means the world. If you did enjoy, please be sure to leave a five-star written review on Apple Podcasts. And as a thank you, I'll give you a shout out in the very next episode as well. Um, there's been a bit of backlog, so it will take a bit of time. The episodes have been quite long as well, so I haven't been able to fit them in. Um, but they will. I will get around to you, I promise. If you haven't already as well, follow us on Instagram. That's where the value posts, all the previews, all the motivational like tips and stuff get posted. Uh, it's a really cool community on Instagram, I can't lie. So please do follow if you haven't already. Thank you so much for listening again, and I'll catch you in the next episode.